morning, E3. I'm Pastor Mike, and today we move into week two of our series, Therefore. This series about who E3 is and who we desire to be as a community. A series where we are looking at one of the central convictions of the New Testament. That for the church, this community centered around Christ's story, there is an inseparable bond between our theology the beliefs and stories we claim to be true about God, ourselves, others, this world, and our ethics, how we live together as a community in this world. Because in the New Testament, there is just a therefore baked into faith. For the earliest Christians, the truth of their story and beliefs was reflected first and foremost through how they lived as a unique community in the world. In other words, if the Christ story is true, then, then the quality of their life together was the evidence of it, the necessary therefore that flowed from its truth, the how of life together, the great therefore of God's story, the church and how it lives, or what we at E3 call our values the guardrails for life together and community that reflect God's character, that drive and direct our behaviors that emerge from the Holy Spirit and inform how we seek to accomplish our mission together in the world. With that in mind, for the next seven weeks, we are going to drill down into each of E3's seven core values. But we are doing so in a unique way. You see, we are framing our discussion, our exploration of our values as a community by focusing in on, honing in on, one of the weightiest therefore statements in the entire Bible. One found in the New Testament book of Romans. And as we laid out last week, this book is amazing. Paul, the author, spends the first 11 chapters of Romans laying out the entire story of the Bible and how it climaxes with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then he begins chapter 12 with this huge therefore statement. And he shifts, the entire letter shifts from telling the story of Jesus to laying out how a community that believes in that story exists in the world. And it is such a dense, rich chapter. Each verse acts as a hyperlink to these stories, these larger themes of scripture. It is a chapter that we are gonna walk through slowly over the next seven weeks, looking at each verse, biblical theme, and underlying story just beneath it, all to see how each piece informs who we are as a church through how we live together in the world. Our values at Element 3 Church. And today, we dive into our first value, which is growth. To state it simply, it is our belief that when the Holy Spirit is moving in and among us, we embrace a life of perpetual growth as a community. And I want to start setting up this value by sharing an audiobook that my wife and I have been listening to called Leave Only Footprints. And it's fantastic. Essentially, it's a quasi-biography about a man who, after a life trauma, seeks healing by visiting all the national parks in a year, which is insane, there's a lot of them. And if you know me, it's literally my dream. Uh, I would 
I would do that in a second. But in particular, there was one idea that my wife pointed out to me that stuck with me this entire week as I prepared for this message. It was this idea of peak bagging. See, peak bagging is when someone seeks out hikes solely for their height, only hiking to reach mountaintops, often to take a picture at the summit and to throw it on Instagram. <laughs> and it was interesting because I never thought of this phenomenon before. And, but the author made a very convincing argument that it could be incredibly problematic for hikers. For one, he argued that it can lead people to neglect the other attributes of a hike. It can become a mindset of only focusing on getting to the top of the mountain, which can make us just miss all the other amazing wildlife and views along the way. The things that actually make up far more of the hike than the summit, which is just a moment of it. We just miss most of the hike because we're focused on getting to the top. And relatedly, he also pointed out that this mindset can lead hikers to choose trails purely based on some arbitrary height requirement, thus excluding hikes that, though lacking in total elevation, actually hold more beauty and substance. Better hikes we never even think to seek out because they just aren't tall enough. And this hit home this week for me for two reasons. First and foremost, I felt attacked. See, this mentality has absolutely defined my exploration of this world at times. You can scroll through my Facebook photos and find the evidence. Hiking trips where the only photos are of me standing stoically at the top of a mountain. Hikes that I wasn't present for along the way because I was just focused on the end. Hikes that weren't great, but I pursued them because I wanted that peak photo. But it also hit me because it spoke perfectly to this value of growth. See, we often treat growth in the Christian life, even if we don't mean to, just like peak bagging. For example, I think we can tend to think that growth is only about the majestic, exciting things that we need to grow in. The sex, drugs, and rock and roll, if you will. And when we do this, we actually fail to seek growth in the boring, flat, yet more important places, our daily lives. More so, I think many of us tend to think of growth as a peak to reach, a finish line to check off and be done, a summit that we need to get to, take a picture of, and call it a day. Which means that we either don't grow because we end up standing at the bottom of one of those big mountains of growth in our lives, and we look up and we see the peak all the way up there, and from where we're at currently, that summit just looks impossibly far off. So we don't even try. We don't even start on the journey. Or even when we do start, because we have this focus on the end alone, we can't see or celebrate the progress or the journey along the way. Because all we can see in that mindset is that we just aren't finished yet. We're just not there yet. Which is a recipe for losing hope, quitting, and turning back when it gets hard. This vision of growth costs us so much. But here's the thing. What if this isn't how growth works in the Christian life? What if 
We are called as a community to a vision of growth that is radically different than seeking peaks, mountaintops, and finish lines. A vision of growth that is at the heart of our value and our next section of Romans and the biblical worldview that lies beneath it. This value of growth that flows out of it. To begin to unpack this, we pick up where we left off last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We find that Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, to begin unpacking this concept, we need to start with a commonly misunderstood term that we find in this verse, and that is the term, this world. See, as 21st century Americans, we hear the phrase, this world, and we think of the globe, right? We think of the earth. We think of the natural world. But for Paul, you have to understand this term, this world, doesn't mean a physical place. No, what Paul is talking about here is something very different. He is describing a way of existing or living within the world. This world, as we see it here, refers to wherever we find human beings seeking our will over God's will. It is a way of existing in the world defined by the ego, defined by pride, defined by might makes right, human domination, defined by whenever we decide that we should be able to determine right or wrong in the world, regardless of how it impacts or hurts other people. That's what it means when you see this world used in this way. So when Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, he is saying there is this way of existing that when engaged, conforms us to resemble it. It reshapes us to be like it, and it leads to destruction. And if you need examples, just look at human history. There are ways of thinking about and treating this world and people in it that when we buy into them, they shape us, they conform us in our behavior, and they just break everything. I hope I don't need to convince you of that. And Paul says, you, church, must go a different way. You must be conformed to a different pattern. He says, instead of being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How we see, think about, understand, and thus engage everything and everyone, our worldview that produces our behaviors. He says, be transformed there so you can be conformed to this different way of existing in the world, a way that, according to Paul, says, says that we can, we can learn to turn from what breaks our world. And it lets us seek out, understand, and take part in the healing will of God in the world instead. And this is where I'm going to geek out. I'm about to really dive in. You see, there is a narrative underneath the surface of this that weaves throughout the entire Bible. You just got to bear with me for one second. See, it begins in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, when God creates all the universe and then creates human beings in this unique way. We read in Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now, this word image 
is central to the biblical story. But for today, we need to understand that at its core, it is a term of reflection and mirroring. An image is something that reflects something greater. So for example, in the ancient world, an image, or also translated as an idol, was a physical statue created to represent a spiritual God here on earth in a temple. So when Genesis says human beings are created in God's image, it is saying something incredibly powerful. We are created and designed with a fundamental purpose to reflect our creator into the world, to mirror God's character and purposes to others and creation through how we exist within it, how we creatively bring potential out of it and others, how we show care and love to all that God has made. And this, this is what it means to be an image bearer of God. It's a beautiful picture of the original human purpose and potential. But as the story goes, humans rebel. See, as the story goes, they try to reflect their own image into the world, their own will, their own way of existing. And from that point on, things just break. Human beings in the Bible from this, this moment on maintain the image of God. That's never taken fully from them. But their ability to reflect God fully becomes blurred by all these other things that they try to reflect into the world instead. Something God sets out to heal over the course of Scripture. This rescue mission to restore humanity back to being true image bearers of God once again. And this is what Paul has in mind underneath this language of renewal. You see, he believes that this renewal of the image bearer status of human beings was taking place through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That in Jesus, what we find is both the climax of God's redemptive story and a new model for being human beings. A new image, a clear reflection. Jesus Christ, a true image bearer of God as we are originally created to be and how he lived in the world. That God in Jesus was showing us how to truly be human again as we were created to be, which for Paul meant that this wasn't just a story to believe. No, this Christ story was one we were invited and called to become. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. This language of image, Christ, and growth appears throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, Paul writes, just as we were born, just as we have born the image of the earthly man, Adam, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Or in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, we read, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which, watch this, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
And even earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, 29, Paul writes, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is what growth is all about in the biblical worldview, to grow, to reflect Jesus and how we don't conform to the patterns that break our world, ego, and power because we are being conformed to a will that refuses to let things stay broken in our world, to grow, to become people with renewed minds who can see, discern, and take part in the redemptive work of God and all the complexities and ambiguities of this life, becoming people who believe that our God is calling us at all times, all of us, to constantly be moving towards transformation in all that we are, a full renewal of our humanity into a new humanity, reflections, images of Jesus and how we exist in the world through our self-sacrifice, our grace, our compassion, our love, our values. That's what it means to pursue a life of perpetual growth. That is why it is one of our seven core values here. That is a value I can get behind, E3. But it's also why peak bagging just got stuck in my mind this week as a concept. See, I think it overlaps with some of the pitfalls that we have in terms of approaching growth in the Christian life. First, just like with peak bagging, I think I often want growth to be all about what's exciting or majestic, the stories of overcoming big things. And while those are included in growth, they are certainly a part of growth. Truly growing in Christ-likeness is something we all must seek in everything. Becoming a totally new kind of human being in the world isn't just for addicts or dumpster fires like me. And it's not just about areas that look like mountaintops and are fun to take photos at the top of. It's for all of us. And for most, it's about the boring, daily, mundane brokenness of our lives. Growing to reflect Jesus through how I treat people at my job, through how I respond to minor daily inconveniences, frustrations, and hardships, through how I see, understand, and respond to the wounds of our world and the brokenness of people in it, in my small daily interactions and conversations, through who and what I reflect when no one is looking, when it's hard, when it matters most. Second, big bagging kept coming to my mind because I often want growth to be about reaching a destination, a peak to reach, so I can get the photo at the top and be done. But there's a problem with that. You see, we don't peak mountains in Christian growth, in the Christian worldview, because growing in Christ's likeness is a lifelong journey. It's actually the very point of life. There are no finish lines, because it's the very purpose of our lives on this world, to more and more reflect him. 
We must set out each and every day from the moment we are born to the moment we die on this journey of growth, a journey full of detours, wrong turns, missteps, backtracks, but a journey that is definitively and divinely worth going on. See, a journey of growth in the Christian life is not measured by where you've been or even where you're at right now. It's only measured by whether or not you're moving today towards Jesus. A journey that can only be pursued with grace, always being patient with ourselves and others along the way, and thankfulness, celebrating each small step forward and finding meaning in the entire journey. Because we never arrive in the Christian life, not individually, not as a community. We only continue to become one day, one step at a time. So we live each day simply asking, did I become more like him today? In my choice to not retaliate, in my charity, in my love for the enemy, in my refusal to conform to the patterns of what has always broken our world is a daily task of just going a different way. And finally, there's one final thought from the book Leave Only Footprints that I want to talk about. One thing the author said that surprised me was that in mountain hiking, the majority of injuries actually occur amongst the most experienced hikers and often on the way back down the mountains, not on the way up or at the peak, which at first didn't make much sense to me, right? The way down is often the easiest part. And then he explained it, and it made a lot of sense. If you are only focused on reaching the peak, if that's the only reason you're going on the journey, then of course you relax and lose your focus once you've made it and start heading down. The whole point of the journey was to reach the top, so what else could there be, right? Except for here's the problem, you're only halfway there when you get to the top. You see, in that space, the experience actually becomes overconfidence, and that's how wounds happen. The moment we tell ourselves we've made it, we're done, no more growing for me, that's when our brokenness becomes something we can't see anymore due to self-righteousness, pride, or complacency. In that, E3, that is when, without even knowing it, we conform to the patterns of this world and people get hurt. We get hurt. That thing we aren't looking for, we're not even aware of, we're not even trying to be aware of, it grows, it boils, it blows up, it blindsides us, and it leaves us wrecked. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. But the more disastrous thing is that others get hurt too through how that unforeseen brokenness overflows onto the people around us or how in our overconfidence we stop seeing ourselves as being just as broken as everyone else, as being in need of growth like everyone else and we place ourselves over others in judgment of everyone else. And y'all, in that space of overconfidence, pride, complacency, self-righteousness, that is where wounds happen every 
single time. It's where the church causes it. We must get perpetual growth right as the church, as the body of Christ in the world. The stakes are just too high. There's too much on the line. Our lives, people's lives, who we reflect. We have to get this right. It's why we at E3 teach people to seek growth in both solitude through the spiritual disciplines and in community through growth groups and intimate friendships. It's crucial. We have to get it right. It's why we emphasize life change at E3 over a one-time conversion experience, over a mountaintop experience, because we have to get this right. It's why we must, as a church, be patient with people, remembering that no one is perfect and change takes time because we have to get this right. It's why, above all, we must always, always remember that in our lives and in our community, we never arrive. We must always allow God to do something new in us each and every day, to be looking for, discerning, and taking part in that never-ending redemptive work and our renewal, the restoration of our lives. And I just think this is so important because when we get growth right, we begin to heal, and it helps us stop being people who constantly make others in our world have to heal too. Does anyone else want to find that in their lives and in this world, in this season? Does anyone want to find that in this community? Does anyone want to find that in how we live and shine a light to the world? I know I do. That's why this value is so important to me. And as the church, E3, as a community that holds Christ's story to be true, story that we claim, is the reality of our world. We must be a place that fosters growth, that invites people into growth, that helps them become the human beings they were created to be. Something we can only do if we are seeking to become the human beings we were created to be. We are invited to be a part of that Christ-like growth in each other's lives. And that is so cool. That just gets me out of bed in the morning. That is good news. To be invited to go on that journey with people, to go on that journey myself. That is something I want to do. That's something I want to see this E3 community live into. But to do so, all of us have to be willing to reflect where do I still need to grow? Which places have I neglected because uh, they just aren't exciting enough? Where have I stopped growing because I've given up or I've gotten complacent? Where do I need to patiently allow or help others grow in this community, taking part in what the body of Christ was created to do in the world? Where do I need to help make E3 a community of growth that this world needs? This is about who we are and who we aspire to be. It's about whether E3 will be the church in the world. 
And we need you. We need you to step into this valley so we can get there. We need you to go on this journey with us. That's what it means to be a community that embraces a life of perpetual growth. It's what it means to be E3. Amen.